Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Cause I've been where you've been And I've felt what you're feeling And I don't want to get in your way Welcome to episode four of the Publisher Podcast. I am not really quite sure how we made it all the way to December 30th, but here we are. It is the end of 2020, the year that changed everything for everyone. What a wild ride. As the year winds down, you may be thinking a lot about how you're going to move forward with your marketing and growing your audience, platform building, and all of those things as we move into 2021. I know a lot of people spent a lot of time writing books in 2020, and now it's time to market the heck out of those and make sure that we actually can sell them. So in today's interview, this is another one of our favorites from the Women in Publishing Summit, which by the way, if you have not gone over and registered for the Women in Publishing Summit yet, stop right now, head over to womeninpublishingsummit.com and make sure you register. There are two paths this year, the free path, which will have some but limited content, and then the actual conference, which is on early bird pricing right now, which is going to have all the workshops, all the Q&As with the Um, with the speakers and a bunch of extra fun bonuses during the actual event of the um, week of the event in March. So don't miss early bird pricing. Again, that's womeninpublishingsummit.com. And you will learn even more fun stuff from all of our people this year on author growth, business growth, marketing, writing, publishing, editing, all of the things that we cover every year. So today's interview is a throwback to a previous interview with Christy Dosh, who is one of my favorite speakers. She is a publicist and PR guru, but she's also a traditionally published author, first through um, nonfiction books that she's been very successful with, and now she's actually started a fiction line of books under a pen name. So I'm really excited. We'll be interviewing her and a panel on romance writers um, early in February. You'll be able to find more information on that um, free panel webinar, um, whatever you want to call it, at womeninpublishingsummit.com forward slash events. Make sure you bookmark that page because every time we have something going on, we put it over there. So in today's interview, or actually in it's an older interview, but the I just really enjoyed re-listening to it. There's so many fabulous tips in there. Christy's going to talk about visibility, um, how, to, how to create opportunities to become visibility, how to use social media to gain attraction, to gain followers, to become something someone that people are interested in engaging with, um, how to grow your platform through these different tools, and so many other things that are going to help you as you think about different ways that you can really put yourself out there so that you are engaging with people, more people are following you, and you are growing and growing so that you can sell more books. So I know you're going to love this interview. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Don't forget to register for the conference, womeninpublishingsummit.com. And thanks so much for being a great listener. Excited to um, hear what you think about this episode. Christy Dash is a publicist who founded Guide My Brand to work with entrepreneurs and nonfiction authors to establish themselves as experts in their niches and become more visible for their expertise through opportunities such as guest blogs, podcast interviews, public speaking engagements, feature articles, and media appearances. Christy has her own best case study, beginning her career as 
y'all have to listen to this story. It's pretty great. We'll talk about it in a second. She began her career as a corporate attorney. She used a combination of blogging, social media, public speaking, and media appearances to become a nationally recognized expert on the business of sports. So she stopped working as an attorney to become a, a, a to work for ESPN naturally because yes. <laughs> all the time. And today she works with busy entrepreneurs and nonfiction authors who want to become experts themselves and step into the spotlight so that they can grow their businesses. You can visit her website at guidemybrand.com and join her free private Facebook group, The Visibility Workshop. So the way I came into, and I'm sorry, I will say hello and let you speak in just a second. <laughs> Welcome, Christy. Let me just say hi. Thank you for being here. <laughs> we were just talking about caffeine consumption and perhaps I've just had tiny bit too much today. <laughs> get enough sleep last night. But I just, there's so much to say about Christy. There's so much to ask Christy. There's so much for Christy to tell us that I get pretty excited about this topic. But um, I met her because I'm friends with uh, Julie Stoyan, who some of you guys know from Create Your Laptop Life. And um, those of us who go way back with her remember her from um, blogging days, fabulous blogging, uh, when she was helping all of us like figure out how to set up a landing page and, and do our blogs and all that kind of stuff. So Anyway, I digress. I was um, just kind of scrolling through Facebook and I saw Julie mention that she had been placed, uh, I, b I believe an entrepreneur, was it Forbes? Uh, both. both. <laughs> Forbes, Entrepreneur, Inc., Working Mother. Julie's an easy person to place. <laughs> yes, because she has such a fabulous story. And then she was talking about how she's getting uh, all these television spots, interview spots on the news and stuff. And I was like, what on earth? And she was like, yeah, it's Christy's hooking me up with all this stuff. So I'm like, okay, I have to talk to Christy because one of the things that I, I promised myself in 2018 was to become more visible because I, like most entrepreneurs, get really worn down from the hustle and visibility is one of the best things to reduce the hustle because if people see you and they like you and they follow you then they buy from you right absolutely <laughs> you know and it takes a little time it's not like a overnight quick fix and so it it requires some hustle to get the visibility in the beginning but the great thing i think about getting more visible and about publicity is the more you land, the more you get out there, the more stuff will just come to you and you'll get to a point where you're not having to hustle to get it. You're not having to pitch yourself. People are just finding you. So a big upfront investment, but like big long-term gain. Absolutely. Okay. So you have to tell your story because it's such a <laughs> story and so, so unique. And I believe only one person in the world could pull this off and it's you. Yeah. Well, and I wasn't even trying to do it. My husband gets upset when I talk about it and I act like it just happened to me, which is what I feel like. I mean, I feel like what everything that happened just happened to me. And he's like, no, you worked really hard. But for me, like I wasn't working towards something. So it's kind of an odd thing. I spent my entire life wanting to be an attorney and became one. I practiced for almost five years. I still have my license. So uh, my friends from law school get mad when I say I used to be an attorney or that I'm a former attorney because <laughs> technically I still have my license. I am an attorney, but I haven't practiced in almost seven years. So I don't really feel like one. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was practicing and had the unfortunate circumstance of practicing in an area that was impacted greatly 
greatly when the economic downturn happened. And so I found myself many days sitting at my desk in my law office with absolutely nothing to do because you had to be there, but nobody was passing down work because there just wasn't enough to go around. And so I sat in my office and I blogged <laughs> because you know what else are you going to do with all this free time? Right. Um, I loved sports. I've been a big sports fan my whole life. I've played sports my whole life. I thought that I would be able to find a legal position in sports, even had some internships um, down that path, but nothing worked out, which was fine. I liked the practice area that I went into and I sort of reconciled that that just wasn't going to happen for me. I wasn't going to be a sports attorney. I was going to be a corporate attorney and do this other stuff and sports would just be a hobby and that was fine. And I started writing about legal issues in sports on this blog totally for fun. No one read it. Like it was a free WordPress site that I set up myself. And I'm telling you, like not even my parents read it. (laughs) That didn't matter to me. I mean, I know some people in the beginning don't keep up with blogging because if they feel like nobody's reading it and they're not getting feedback and they feel like they're just like shouting into the void, you lose your motivation. But I really love to write and I found this stuff like fascinating. And so I was able to like stay motivated and keep producing even though nobody was reading it. (laughs) And I had um, sort of an interesting circumstance happen at my law firm where a longtime client of ours was in a meeting with me and we somehow got into a discussion about how much we both loved Major League Baseball. And I said, hey, I've got this baseball blog that I write about the business side of baseball and legal issues in baseball. And he was like, oh, I want to check it out. And so I gave it to him. And through that, he learned that when I had been in law school, I had written a journal article for a legal journal about the history of collective bargaining in baseball, which is boring to anyone but me probably. Um, <laughs> But he did a really awesome thing. He knew something I didn't know, which is that the head of our corporate team owned on the side Baseball America, which is a bi-monthly publication that's been around, I think, since the 70s. And he ended up telling the partner about how gifted he thought I was in terms of analyzing the business side of baseball. And they both ended up introducing me to an editor at a publishing house who offered me a book deal to turn my legal journal article into a book on the history of collective bargaining in baseball. And they wanted me to use my blog to continue to flesh out ideas. But more importantly for everybody that's listening to this, they wanted me to use the blog and they encouraged me to get on Twitter at that time. That would have been 2000 like eight, 2009 to build a platform. (laughs) You know, I, I had never heard of this whole idea of having a platform. I, I mean, I wasn't even looking to get a book deal. I understand how lucky I am that that kind of fell in my lap. Um, and that encouraged me to blog even more because I did want to sort of like test out some of the things I was writing about and get feedback from people. And that was kind of a more public way to do it, but I still hadn't figured out how to get people to come read the blog. (laughs) So in addition to writing the book, I was also writing blogs that were on, um, some of the same topics that are in the book, but I wrote about it in a more casual format on the blog than I did in the book. And I got on Twitter because the publisher said, you got to get on Twitter. Now, I'm not saying that all of you watching this need to go get on Twitter. For my niche for sports, Twitter is still huge even today. It was huge then. It's huge now. Um, That's really what – I have three Twitter accounts. I have one for my sports business work. I have one for my publicity agency. And then I actually have one for some travel writing that I do. And quite honestly, I only really spend time on the sports one because it's the only one where I see a return. So you've got to find the right platform for you. But getting on Twitter – 
I can honestly say I'm not exaggerating, changed my life. Um, I was able to drive people to my blog. I was able to connect to bigger reporters and writers who then started linking to my blog. And I was able to develop these relationships with people that I still have today. And um, over the course of many years, it led to a lot of different things. But um, I would have never... I would have never thought to get on there and I would have never understood how to use it had the publisher not really pushed me to get on there and, and build this platform. So um, I don't know where all your uh, listeners are going to be at in the stage of kind of building their platform, but I can say that after having done it, so important to have that audience there that's ready, willing, and able to buy your book when it comes out. So you can't start working on building the platform like at launch. I started building it, you know, years before my book was going to come out because I was with a traditional publisher and it's a very long time frame from getting the book deal to having the actual book in your hands. And during that whole time period, I was building my social media. Oh my gosh. You said so many, so many important things that I <laughs> to recap here. The first is that blogging is so important for people who want to build their audience, period. And I mean, and you may not see those results for a long time, but if, if somebody does come to you and say, I'm interested in your stuff, how nice to be able to point them to all kinds of writing that you've already done. The works are, you cannot recreate that. Plus you're building Google juice, plus you're building all these types of things that you just cannot recreate in a short time frame. So I want to reiterate that because we talk a lot about the importance of blogging. Um, and in your case, it was just something that you loved and that led to something else. Okay, so you talked about that. You talked about the platform building. Twitter is a great place for writers. Now, I know not everybody watching the uh, summit is a writer, writer, like a lot of people I assume are built, writing a book to grow their business, but still great place to connect with people. And do you have tips on how to, um, to connect on Twitter? Yeah, I think the best way I've found to grow a following on Twitter is to look for Twitter chats. So if people aren't familiar with a Twitter chat, it's usually at a set day and time. Some of them are once a week, some are once a month. They're all a little bit different. It takes some digging around to find them, um, but they'll be at a set day and time. There's usually a moderator. Some weeks, it's sometimes it's the same person every week. Sometimes they rotate who the mod, mod, moderator is weeks to week, but that person comes in at the set day and time and it uses a set hashtag so that you can follow the chat. And um, I found that one of the easier way to, ways to do it, instead of going to, into Twitter and searching the hashtag and following it there, there's a couple of different third-party programs. The one I use is called tweetchat.com. And it's great because it sort of turns off the other noise on Twitter so that you can just follow the hashtag and follow the chat during that designated day and time. And you're probably going to have a moderator who's going to throw out a question every so many minutes. And they'll say like Q1 for question one, and they'll ask a question around a topic. Um, and then when you reply, you put A1 so that people know you're answering the first question. Because once you get into several questions, there's still people who are like discussing the first one, even though you've gotten onto the third one. So that kind of keeps everything organized. Um, but it's really neat because it allows you to find 
find other people who are interested in the same thing you are and to interact with them in real time. Because if we just search a hashtag, you know, you're going to be able to find people that way, but they might not be on right then. Whereas in a Twitter chat, you can end up in a back and forth conversation with someone. Someone sees your answer to the question and they have an additional comment on it, or they have another question they want to ask you as a follow-up. And you get into these really great conversations. And I found that when I do Twitter chats, especially when I've done them consistently, and not just me, but people I've known in other industries as well, you start picking up followers fast because people will just go through the chat and start following all the people that are in the chat. Yeah. So. Um, and there is a great one, by the way, f- specifically for authors, um, Rachel Thompson, who is another person that we interviewed on this. She's the book marketing lady. And it, she does 9 p.m.s on Wednesday night, the book marketing chat. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I didn't even know about that. (laughs) You're looking specifically for book marketing. Now hers functions a tiny bit different. I won't go into this too much because we're talking about you, but um, hers is, she brings on a guest expert. So people can marketing things. So as they go through the, and she does the QA1, Q1A1, all that stuff, but it's with a guest expert. So yeah, that's so cool. So um, building, you know, people keep saying, is Twitter dead? Is Twitter going away and all these things? Well, I see it's still very active for certain groups. Sports is one, writers is another, bloggers. I think it's still great for bloggers. Yeah. But like anything else, you know, you have to kind of pick where you believe your audience is do some research and then spend your time there. So um, speaking of research and getting in front of your audience, you, through your course, you talk a lot about using guest blogs, guest podcasts, guest, guest, you know, any place you can get in front of somebody. And, um, you know, if you can tell us a little bit about why that's important, um, the ROI on this and how you best utilize them to grow your brand and get your book in front of more people. Yeah. So for any of them, whether it's doing a podcast interview or it's doing a guest blog or it's a TV appearance, um, first and foremost, you're going to get a lot of credibility, but you're going to be able to sort of trade off of the no like, and trust factor that that outlet or that podcast host already has with their audience. So I, I run into a lot of people who, for example, want to start their own podcast. There's nothing wrong with that. And I wouldn't say don't do it. I mean, I've had a couple of podcasts myself. Um, I also no longer have them. So <laughs> um, they're a lot of work. And quite honestly, I think you can get more leads and grow your business faster going on other people's podcasts than hosting your own. And I've had hosts tell me the same thing. I go on their podcast and I add all these people to my email list. And I've gotten clients off of one podcast interview who email me like right after the podcast interview and say, I heard you on XYZ. You know, I want to jump on the phone and see how we can work together. I've landed a lot of clients that way. And then I'll talk to the podcast host about it and they'll be like, I don't feel like I get anybody from my podcast. (laughs) And I'm sure they do. It's just those people are part of their audience and they're probably also in their Facebook group and, you know, maybe they're reading their blog and they're getting their newsletter. Like they're interacting with them in so many different ways that the host isn't able to trace it directly to the podcast and say, yes, I got this client because of my podcast. Whereas I can, because I can track the leads as they come in. Um, If I give out like a free gift on the podcast or if somebody fills out my form to get on the phone with me, it asks, how did you hear about me? And they'll say, you know, I heard you on so-and-so's podcast. Mm -hmm. So it's a great way to get in front of someone else's audience, people who maybe haven't discovered you yet, um, but who you have some things in common with. I mean, obviously you want to go on ones where your ideal client or customer is already hanging out. You provide some value so that you further grow that no like and trust factor, but really you're trading off of what they already have with their audience, whether that's Forbes or it's going on 
Good Morning America or it's doing a podcast interview, those outlets all have a loyal audience. And by them having you on, people subconsciously are thinking, okay, this outlet thinks she knows what she's talking about. So she probably knows what she's talking about, you know? So you're able to sort of trade off of that. And it's incredibly value, valuable from a credibility standpoint. And it can also be great for generating leads and actually selling your book. Or if you're trying to grow your business and you want more people in your group program, or you want more one-on-one -on -one clients, it can be good for all of that too. Different types of publicity tend to serve different goals, but I would say all of them give you credibility at some level. And there's obviously, you know, different levels of it. And sometimes you got to kind of start at the bottom and work your way up. I certainly did. You know, I did, um, I did like local radio in small little college towns first, because a lot of what I wrote about was the business side of college football in the beginning. So I did radio in towns you've never heard of. <laughs> um, but then I graduated up to doing national radio. And then I had my own segment on a regional sports network on TV. And then eventually I got to ESPN. You know, those were things that took years to build. And I started at the bottom again with a free WordPress blog, you know, started going on the radio in the middle of nowhere. When I started doing guest blogs, it was with like these sports networks that don't even exist anymore. They were like these online blogging, like collaborations between sports bloggers. And most of them aren't even around anymore. So, you know, you work your way up to the big stuff. And I've just found a lot of people either aren't patient enough or they're not consistent enough. And I think yeah. you've got to be, yeah. you've got to be both. Absolutely. Oh gosh, you, you, that's such a good point. I mean, being willing to start, I think we all get these like big vision, like, you know, we jump straight to Good Morning America. We know that our book is wonderful. We know that our topic is wonderful. And we're like, doggone it. I need to be right up there. I need to be with Savannah Guthrie. <laughs> her name always sticks out to me because I actually met her at the book expo in um, New York City last year. Because oh, she had how this, fun. Yeah, she just published a children's book. So got a signed copy of her book and met her. Well, and you know what I'll tell you for those big outlets, and this has changed a little bit um, right now for those bigger outlets, if you want to get their attention, I think it matters less what your book is about and whether it's honestly great or not on the inside, it matters how many followers you have on social media. I just got back from an entire week in New York meeting with editors and producers at like a over a dozen publications. And the one thing I heard over and over and over was they want people to have a big social media following. And I think that you do. can, you can be someone who's not that credible. As a matter of fact, I was at one publication and they were telling me, you know, traditionally it was a health and fitness publication. And they said, you know, traditionally we only let in people who had certain certifications. And then they were like, but quite honestly, now there's a lot of people we let in because they have hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram, but they have no official certifications which is kind of sad, but it's the way the media industry is trending because the way those publications make their money is on their advertising online. Absolutely. You know, a lot of them don't even have a print publication. Some of them have dropped that and they're all online now and they're making money off of clicks. And if you've got someone who brings a big audience with them, you know, they're going to bring those clicks with them. And so I've been telling my clients, they've got to focus more and more on building their social media platforms and putting in the time and effort there because that can open so many doors for you. And it, it's like a chicken and egg thing. You think yeah. if you get on Good yeah. Morning America, you'll grow your social media following because people will find out about you. But 
like to get on there, they want you to have a big social media font. So it's like, you know, which one comes first. Um, But I would definitely put a lot of time and effort into social media because I think that that's becoming so important when it comes to visibility opportunities, whether it's for your book or for your business. Uh, Do you have any tips on how people can start growing their platform? Definitely consistency is huge. Um, You know, getting a scheduler so that it's posting for you. So maybe you only sit down once a week and you load in all your posts for the week because who has time to do it every day? I mean, I know I don't. Um, And I'm not even great about sitting down and putting it in the scheduler. So I'm giving you (laughs) advice that sometimes I don't even follow myself. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I get it. But like I found, and there's other tools for this, but I really like Meet Edgar because Meet Edgar, you can load your blog posts in, you can load in other people's stuff that you want to share. And if it's evergreen content and you load it in, you can set it so that it like recycles it every Mm -hmm. so often. Mm -hmm. And I do that with all of my content. So if I'm on a podcast tomorrow, I'll post about it, but meet Edgar will recycle it for me and it'll probably post again three to four months from now based on the amount I have in my catalog with Meet Edgar, Mm -hmm. which is fine because the stuff I go on and talk about is very evergreen. And I found that when it posts the next time, like three or four months later, I always have it tag the podcast host. And so they're like aware that it posts again. And I found they reach out to me and they're like, you know what? Your, Your segment was really great. Let's have you on again. It's like, you know, I was just trying to automate my social media, but like now I'm getting another interview. So I think there's a lot of positives to it and that'll help you post more consistently um, because I think that's really key. And then depending on the platform, like for Twitter and Instagram, I think hashtags are very important and that you research and use the right ones. I don't think they really matter for Facebook, quite honestly. You know, for Facebook, I think it's more important that you do Facebook lives pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. So every platform is a little bit different in terms of how you need to show up. But I think most important is that you're consistently showing up. Now, that's great advice. You you talk a lot about um, the importance of really uh, branding yourself and knowing your your um, your thirty minute elevator speech, knowing you know what sets you apart from others. Can you talk to people a little bit about that? Because you know, especially if if someone's listening and they're like, you know, there's forty eight thousand other health coaches out there. I'm writing a book about what I do and how I coach people. How do I stand out? How do I make my book different and me different as someone that people want to interview? Yeah. So the first thing I talk to people about is the difference between an elevator pitch, which you probably already have, and then what I call an expert statement. So your elevator pitch, you want to quickly get across to somebody who you are and what you do. So like mine would be that I'm a publicist who works with entrepreneurs and nonfiction authors to establish themselves as experts and get more visible for that expertise through traditional and online media. You know, if I'm on literally on an elevator with somebody and I need to quickly tell them what I do, that's it. Now, I know a lot of other publicists who could say the same thing. As a matter of fact, when I was in New York last week, I met with two other people who I guarantee you their elevator pitch sounds exactly like mine. (laughs) And that's fine. I don't think your elevator pitch has to be 100% unique. It just has to quickly get across who you are and what you do. Your expert statement, however, totally different story. So um, this is something that I just sort of, not that I'm the only person who does it, but when I was developing my business as a publicist and I was thinking about how I was going to work with people and trying to put together kind of a process for onboarding people when I brought clients on to work with one-on-one, I came up with this idea of the first thing I would do is sit down and write their expert statement, which is kind of a positioning statement. It's your elevator pitch combined with your unique 
experience. So for example, my expert statement, I would talk about how I'm my own best case study. Okay. There are a million publicists out there who do what I do, but none of them that I'm aware of started their career as a corporate attorney, became a sports business reporter at ESPN and then became a publicist. So that's what makes me different. And, you know, for some of my clients, like for example, I think you're right, the health coach market's really saturated, but most of those people have a story about how they got into that, a disease they were battling or, you know, a weight loss issue they were battling or some sort of diagnosis. You know, most of them have a personal story um, for why they got into it. Even if you're not a health coach, most of us have something that happened in our personal or professional experience that led us to what we're doing now. That's what you want to share with people for a couple of different reasons. One, because it makes you sound unique. So if you're pitching yourself for something, and the example I always use is, okay, if you're pitching yourself to speak at a conference, if I'm pitching and several other publicists are as well, and we all use our elevator pitch, we all sound the same. Like, how does anybody choose which one of us to have? But if we pitch with our expert statements, or if I pitch with my expert statement and they all pitch with their elevator pitch, you know, then I sound unique. And I've got this like great story I can share. And the reason that's important is because whether it's an audience at a speaking event, or it's just the person on the other side of your email newsletter, the more you share your personal experience and what got you here, the more people are going to identify with some small part of your story. You never know what piece of your story, what piece of your path is going to resonate with somebody, you know, what's, and you've got, let's say thousands of people on your email list. Well, they're all at different stages. So the more you tell your story, the more opportunity you have to find that little piece that they identify with where they're like, you know what? She gets me. That's who I want to work with. Um, so I think it's really important to figure out how your story led you to where you are now and being willing to share that with people, because that is going to make you you approachable. It's going to, you know, make you more human, more accessible to them, and they're going to identify with you. And that's going to make them want to work with you or buy your book or whatever it is. Awesome. And I mean, you're so right. I mean, the, the whole area, I mean, there are so many writers, there are so many female entrepreneurs these days, there are, everybody's doing it now. So being able to really say, this is what I bring to the table. This is why I'm different. And this is what I why I'm valuable for your audience, I think are really important for people to identify. Um, and they have to really know what it is that they're trying to achieve to be able to do that too. I think a lot of people are kind of like, well, I want to write a book to grow my business, but I don't really know what I'm going to write about. Right. <laughs> so and you have to know, <laughs> like with a book, you know, is it a lead magnet? Are you essentially going to give it away just to get people in the door? Or are you using it to get more paid speaking? You know, there's different goals even for a book with your business. Yeah. And I think you have to know what that goal is as you go into sort of your marketing phase, or you're not going to choose the right publicity opportunities or the right visibility opportunities to get to that goal. So true. Um, okay. So you mentioned that you spent time in New York city, which must've been fun with all of yes. these uh, different outlets. So can you kind of run down a list of maybe some of your best tips for a pitching an outlet like that 
And um, well, let's just start there. That's yeah. probably big enough. <laughs> so the, the advice I heard over and over um, was again about, about social media. So if you do have a solid social media following already, and I would say anything over 10,000 on one platform is worth mentioning, put that in your pitch. I used uh, to not put that in pitches, but the more I've heard from um, editors, especially in the last year, that how important that is to them. If my client has at least 10,000 on any one platform, I'll mention it. And then same thing with their email newsletter list. If they've got 10,000 or more on their email newsletter list, I'll mention that as well. And that's just to show them that yes, you will. And I say it, I say, you know, my client has, you know, 14,000 followers on Facebook and 10,000 people on her email list. And she will aggressively promote what she writes for you. You know, I mean, I tell them like not, she's got this following and she will use it. She promises like she will promote what she's writing for you because that's really important to them. They want you to promote your own work. And like my husband's an editor for a website and he gets so upset with the contributors for his site because they won't promote their own work. And some yes, of them have big followings oh. on social media. And he's like, why are you not tweeting your story? Or why did you only tweet it once? Like in this day and age, like outlets are really looking for you to drive the traffic to your own piece. Now, hopefully yeah. they'll help you and they'll put it on their Facebook or on their Twitter. They don't always, especially some of these outlets that have hundreds of contributors. They're not going to be able to put them all on their social media. They're going to handpick the ones that are um, doing the best, but that's how you get there. Like you, like Julie, who, you know, when Julie had her first piece, she put on Facebook and put it up and she said to her audience, please share this, please go and click on the link and read it so that they see the power of my audience, mm -hmm. you know, because that makes them want to work with her again, because they see that she's bringing the traffic to her piece and it makes them more likely for them to promote her work. Now right. they're like, okay, like we see this is getting like some traction. And so then they'll start pushing it on. On their channels too. So, yeah. um, I think that's really important to point out right in the pitch. If you've got it, if you don't, don't worry about it. That doesn't mean that you can't get these opportunities. It might change the scale of the opportunities that you can get, but I still get clients in the door all the time who um, have like amazing credentials. Like I have a doctor client that has just astounding credentials, but not a great social media following it's okay because her professional credentials are enough to get her in the door, even though her social media following isn't big. So it's not like a do or die, but if you've got it, point it out in the pitch. Mm -hmm. um, and aside from that, the advice that I heard over and over was keep your pitch short. People send these long rambling pitches and I've always thought that mine was kind of long, but I, I talked to a couple of editors about it while I was there. And actually the editor, I talked to an entrepreneur, she was like, no, she's like, do you remember this one pitch you sent? And she started talking to me about one of my clients. She said, it's the one we use as an example. And we tell people that's how they should be pitching. And I was like, Oh, awesome. <laughs> I thought mine was long because I, I guess I am not on that side of it. So I haven't seen like some of the ones they get that are like pages and pages long. She said, <laughs> send a suggested headline. So take a look at the headlines that are already on their site and model yours after that. If everything they do is a list, it's all, you know, five tips for that and seven ways I do that, then yours should probably be a list too. Or if it's all first person, like how I built this or how I did that, then your headline should be first person. So take a look at the headlines that are on the site. And now they might not end up using the one you suggest, but several of them told me they like to see a suggested headline. Mm -hmm. So give them a suggested headline, give them a brief paragraph about what the piece would cover and what the audience would walk away knowing how to do or what they would will have learned. A paragraph or two short 
paragraph or two about yourself. And that's where I use my client's expert statement that I develop. And then if you've got that social media following or that email list, you can point out, do that. So most of my pitches I would say are like two paragraphs. And really I usually do like one sentence to like grab their attention. So like a one sentence paragraph, and then I'll flesh out the piece a little bit with the headline and a paragraph, two short paragraphs, like just a couple of sentences each of their expert statement another short paragraph that's like one sentence with their social media following their email list size. If it's, you know, if they've got something big enough to point out and then a like closing sentence or two that, you know, tells them thank you and kind of asks for the next steps. Yeah. So, I mean, that can, that, that'll keep you pretty short. If you were going to print out the email, you wouldn't want it to print on more than one sheet of paper. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Those are great tips. And I think, um, I wanted to follow up with, do you, in, in, is there any case where you should send an already written article or in most cases, are you pitching with an idea and then you write the article? I'd say it's 50-50 for major media publications. If we're talking about big magazines or um, like Forbes, Entrepreneur, Inc., for the most part, they just want the pitch. They do not want the full piece. Mm -hmm. um, you can usually find the guidelines on their website. So you can Google something like Forbes Contributor Guidelines or Working Mother Magazine Contributor Guidelines. And that'll usually get you some information about what they want. Um, mm -hmm. We do find some outlets that want you to go ahead and send a full draft. I'm trying to think. There were a couple this week I actually was looking into that wanted a full draft. Um, so you just want to look at those contributor guidelines. I'm thinking mind body green might ask for a full draft. So okay. it varies from to outlet to outlet. Um, but you can usually find that pretty easily if you just put, if you Google the name of the publication and contributor guidelines or writer guidelines, they've usually got something on their site that tells you who to pitch, how to pitch them. Um, we go into this, you'll know this as you get deeper into my program, Alexa. I don't always follow those guidelines because mm -hmm. I follow the guidelines for who to pitch. I follow the guidelines for what you should send them. That I follow every time. If they say send a suggested headline, you know, or they say send a full drop, whatever they say for that, I follow. I don't always follow who they say to send it to because <laughs> it's usually like a general inbox right. and there are better ways to find an editor to pitch to directly. And I think anytime you have the ability to do so, you should pitch an editor directly, not pitch one of those like general submission um, email addresses, but I follow the other guidelines. <laughs> uh, and there's one more thing that I really want to point out uh, too, and you, and I think this is super important for people to know. Um, there are certain outlets that allow you to blast out your thing to multiple places like regional parenting publications, but yeah. they usually pay you like next to nothing. But you, you mentioned something, I think it was in the program, mm -hmm. um, in your, in your course about making sure that if you're pitching a big outlet that you wait until you get a yay or nay before you pitch that yes. same story to someone else. Tell us about that. Yeah. So like I've got a piece right now that I, the, I pitched it first to fast company and they passed and then I pitched it to Inc. and they passed and now I've pitched it to success. So, I mean, look, it doesn't happen to me for the first time every time and that's fine. It just, I mean, it may be because they think they've had too many pieces in that area or the pieces they've had in that area haven't done well. Like just because right. it doesn't work at one publication doesn't mean it doesn't work at another. Um, but with major publications, so any of the magazines um, and then big publications like Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, Success, those kind of publications, one at a time. Um, and then once they say no, you can move on and pitch it to the next one. Or if they're not answering you, if you followed up a couple of times and you haven't gotten an answer, 
then you can go ahead and move on and pitch it somewhere else. But if you pitch it to Forbes and Entrepreneur, both, like if I send an email to both right now, and then both editors came back to me today and said, yes, you're going to have to tell the second one, no, that you've already given it to the first one. And they are going to not be happy. (laughs) Um, You will burn a bridge. So um, it's best to pitch it kind of one at a time. So I always have several ideas I'm working on. So, and they might be really close variations of the same thing. Like I recently pitched both entrepreneur and success on personal branding, but just a little bit different angle for each outlet based on what I know does better for each outlet. Like entrepreneur first person stories do better. So that was like the story of my personal branding. Whereas for success, it was more of like a step-by-step here's how to develop your personal brand. So you can come up with variations on the same theme and pitch those variations to outlets at the same time. Just don't pitch the exact same article to two outlets at the ones at the same time. Okay, great. Well, I've really enjoyed working through your course and, and learning from you. I mean that you, you give great, great tips and very um, detailed information on how to go out and do this process. So thank you for all of that. Where can our audience find you if they want more from you? Yes, all over all the social media platforms. <laughs> no. um, you can find me on my website at guidemybrand.com. And then I'm pretty much guide my brand on all the outlets. So on Twitter, it's guide my brand. On Instagram, it's guide my brand. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash guide my brand. So um, you can check me out. I'm most active through my email list and on my Facebook page. So if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you might not see as much. <laughs> awesome. Well, I have really appreciated all of this information and you taking time out. And we uh, I'm just so thankful for, for everything that you provide. It's been really fun and great. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great, huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time.